Hello and welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architecture Podcast. My name is Will Scott, and in these podcasts, we talk to leaders in the area of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams drive and deliver value to their organizations in advancing strategy, optimizing operations, or reducing and managing risk. In this episode, we'll be talking to Jeremy Viner from the Royal Bank of Scotland. Jeremy takes us through a journey of change at the bank retiring legacy systems and replacing with new standards, process and tools to increase the impact of enterprise architecture at the bank. But we won't be talking about software. Instead, Jeremy talks us through the change process he undertook within the context of the Cotter change model. He talks about how he built coalitions, got buy-in, focused on getting wins early and often, and perhaps, most importantly, celebrating successes. So let's go to that interview now. So, Jeremy, for our listeners, um, perhaps you could introduce yourself and the Royal Bank of Scotland. Hi, Will. Yes, sure thing. And thanks for having me. Uh, So I run the architecture knowledge base team who provide internal services to staff uh, around the organization to support them to do shared architecture modeling. And we use the industry standard language of Archimate to do that. And um, the one around the, the organization itself. So when I say the bank, what I mean is, is RBS or the Royal Bank of Scotland, which is soon to be rebranded to NatWest. And it's a large and complex business that emerged in 1969 from a merger of two banks, being the Royal Bank of Scotland and National Commercial Bank of Scotland. So by the end of 2019, Revenue was about 14 billion British pounds. Operating profit before tax was uh, about 2.4 billion and over 60,000 employees by that point. And many of the listeners will will remember the well-documented events during the financial crisis and meant that the UK government ended up with a 70% stake by 2009 after British banking shares collapsed around January of that year. And um, this percentage has been reducing over time because there's clearly a a motivation to do that. And it sat around 62% in 2018. So from November last year, Alison Rose became the new CEO, uh, taking the baton from Ross McEwen. And Alison gives the direction that we champion potential helping people, families, and businesses to thrive. And with that, um, there's three areas of focus, really, and that's around enterprises, uh, learning and climate. And uh, what that means, really, is improving support for small and medium enterprises and social enterprises, um, improving financial capability and confidence of our customers, but also to establish a dynamic learning environment for our employees. Now, that's a key part where, from my perspective, using standards such as Archimate helps nurture staff skills and professionalism. Um, and the, the final part was uh, a part in accelerating the transmission to a low-carbon low, low economy. So I think it's, it's also worth mentioning that RBS has gone through a significant cultural transformation since the financial crisis. And a large part of that was done 
under uh, the last uh, CEO, Ross McEwen, where the goal was focused on customer service, trust and advocacy. Um, so this latest commercial strategy, I believe, really builds upon that. So needless to say that there's been quite a significant cultural shift. That's great. So it's a, a large, complex banking enterprise subject, subject to, I'm sure, all manner of regulatory requirements that's grown and changed over the past several decades through mergers and acquisitions and, and big transitory changes. And so with that comes a lot of complexity. So Jeremy, you and I have talked before about how change gets implemented in large organizations. And a business design, we're a software company, but we often say it's not about the software. Um, and that seems kind of counterintuitive for a software company to say, but truly we don't believe it is about the software. It's certainly necessary. And it's great to have rich features and functions of the software, but double-click install is not going to solve all the challenges of driving change within an organization. So can you, you've been involved in a, in a significant change initiative in the bank over the past few years. Can you talk a little bit more about what triggered that, that, that change initiative? And then also you use this model called the Cotter change model, which is a way of framing and thinking about and driving change. Could you perhaps talk, us about, talk to us about your journey within the context of that model, maybe giving a quick introduction to that model, uh, firstly, to our listeners? A sure thing, absolutely. So um, the, the Cotter change model is, a, is an eight-step model um, that John Cotter uh, introduced uh, a while back, and it's available in various um, it, academic and um, various business management publications. Um, so, but central to it is is urgency, and I'll, I'll run through the run through it um, shortly. But I think uh, it's probably worthwhile talking about the uh, a little bit of the historical context from from RB, RBS, um, in that RBS has had its fair share of unplanned IT outages and fines. Um, one example was a mainframe outage in the summer of 2012 when customers couldn't access payments, uh, which was a failure in the bank's ability to manage change as, as it should have. And this naturally brought in various regulatory constraints. And the bank has since brought in significant risk management processes, um, which add to the various cultural changes um, such as baking in risk awareness and risk management into everyone's, every every employee's psyche. But also crucially, and from my perspective, um, this started to bring to the attention of leadership the complexity of the IT estate and the need to do something to understand and manage it well. So this meant an improved system was set up to model the critical services and respective application and infrastructure architecture and an existing legacy tool was adapted to record and report on uh, this. All, all, all of that um, uh, to, to, is a way of proving to leadership that we're in control of our estate. So, so is, that, is that kind of the necessary first condition to, to drive change as some, I wouldn't say catastrophic event, but some, some meaningful event to, 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 to execute a change initiative? So I think it's a huge uh, help it's it's, a, it's f f from the, from my perspective and um using the terms of the cotta model having a sense of urgency is a key uh, starting point for instigating change so you had your initial and, and major 
you know, driver for change. Was there, was there any other contributing factors that help you make that case for change going on in the bank at that time? Um, so that there was. Um, so I mentioned that we had a, a legacy tool to uh, meet regulatory and um, lead, leadership demands. But um, it was also very clear early on that it wasn't going to be able to meet um, the complexity that we needed to represent in our, in our model. So there's some real tool limitations. Um, and it was also becoming end of life as well. So we, we it was clear that there was a need for, for something to, to replace this legacy tool. So um, we embarked on a, a tool selection. And we ended up with biz design and um, instigated this this change program, which I'll, which I'll talk about. So you had that urgency, and I believe that's that's step one on the change model is is, is I think they just call it urgency or, or a sense of urgency. Can you take us sort of just at a high level through what the eight steps of the model are, and then perhaps pick out a few of those steps and talk to them, uh, talk about those steps within the context of the change initiative that you were you were participating in. Yeah, sure. So there are three broad groups to this, this these um, Cotter's eight steps. So the first is creating the climate for change, engaging and enabling the organization and implementing and sustaining for change. So in that first group, we've got um, creating a sense of urgency, build and maintain a guiding coalition and formulate a strategic vision and change initiatives. And in our case, one particular change initiative. The second group um, about engaging and enabling the organization, we've got getting buy-in and creating volunteers, accelerating using your networks to remove barriers. And also one of the things I want to um, revisit later is celebrating, uh, celebrating visible significant short-term wins. And the final step is implementing and sustaining for change. And in there, we've got remaining committed and continuing learning and institutionalizing uh, strategic changes in the culture. So we got, we, we've got the theory, we've got the, the structural model developed by John Cotter and uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Now, tell us a bit more about your real life experience of how you actually applied that model uh, on some of the steps and some of your learnings and insights. And I know there were some particular areas that you wanted to call out and, and focus on. Sure. So um, I mentioned um, creating a sense of urgency and uh, throughout the various engagements, we'll refer to the historical uh, IT challenges and uh, the need to meet regulatory requirements. So we had we had that as a basis. But one 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 of the steps, which is building and maintaining a guiding coalition. Now, you know, it's all very well having a certain size team in our case, uh, about six people. To, to, to run this initiative, but it's essential to get people on board and you know singing from the same uh, hymn sheet. So you can't, you can't underestimate the power of getting, um, say, subject matter experts, in our case, expert architects, using the early tool so we could demonstrate benefits and add weight to getting support from uh, budget holders to, um, to pay for, for the tool and for uh, the team. But also to um, for these people to become advocates and spread the word and generate further interest and uh, challenge early on so we could refine, rework and get things wrong and then fix them and get things better 
and uh, just start learning, improving, learning and improving as soon as we could. And when you did this, I thought it was always interesting when you're trying to build these stakeholder groups, you know, um, did you have to position why what you were doing was important for their particular group or were they being good corporate citizens and saying, yeah, that's that's the important right thing for the group, for the uh, for the bank? Like, how, how did you, uh, you know, sort of form that coalition of, of, of stakeholders and supporters? So, so in the early days, it became very clear who the uh, the, the most willing people were. So there was a, a small minority of people um, just just saw this very quickly, saw, saw the value of this and we'd work with them to um, you know, help them in their day job uh, to, to apply shared modeling. And uh, very quickly, um, those around them uh, started seeing the value. And, um, and then you were just left with the, you know, the, the, the fewer people who were sort of quite, quite skeptical. And then um, over time, um, they, 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 they were sort of swept along and they, you know, they, they see the value or they just find that it's the norm in their area, in their area of working. Okay, so, so just sort of reference checking back to the model. We've got our sense of urgency that's being created as a result of the IT estate challenges and also this tool coming end of life. You've formulated a or formed a, a coalition of people looking to help drive this change, the budget holders, the sponsors, the stakeholders, the implementers. Take us through, you know, the next sort of interesting step that you, you came across in this in this journey of change. I, I think it's, it's worth uh, talking a little bit uh, about the vision because I think any successful change program you're going to be able to articulate uh, a clear vision to, to people to help with buy-in and I think this really did help with um, with bringing those early pioneers along and we call them pioneers because um, they're the first people in, in the organization that started doing you know, true shared modeling and use, using an industry standard language and because bearing in mind this is a significant cultural shift in, in the way people work and um, historically people are used to um, using, you know, uh, Visio, PowerPoint, Excel, you know, or, you know, and, and, and using their um, own notation to describe uh, architectural designs. And this is you know, a standard. Um, so I think having a vision was really important for us. And um, we refined it over time and based it. And the language that we used was, was being sensitive to the legacy culture that, that I just described. Um, so we we had one of, um, and we still do, of having an understanding of the bank's architecture we can all trust and use to inform strategy and change. So that was really trying to you know put our arms around the whole um, set of uh, Archimate concepts. And as you as you positioned this, uh, you know, I'm used to working in Excel, Visio, PowerPoint, using my own notation, my own language. Here comes Jeremy, all of a sudden taking away my free will, or rather my my ability to do whatever I want, and uh, and I have to sort of sit within this this tool framework. Um, was that how did you sort of position that? Was that was that here's some carrots or here's the stick? I mean, I, I always think about the expense claiming app. I don't get a choice about whether whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. It is the only way I can claim my expenses, right? So really, the GUI is irrelevant. If it's the only way I can claim my expenses, I'll do it. But if I have a choice, I'd rather just send, you know, an envelope full of receipts. So tell me about how you, how did you convince the average user that the old Excel Visio PowerPoint ways were, were, so, were well, this is not the way of the future? This is such a fascinating thing. And it's something I was... Um, really struggling with in the, in the early days and because in the beginning we really only had carrots we didn't really have any sticks um particularly for the wider community um the, the 
team that I was uh, running this initiative out of, uh, over time developed um, uh, or increased the, the, the temperature up, if you like, to make sure that our immediate colleagues had to do something to demonstrate that they were that they were using um, shared bottling. So there's a little bit of a stick there. But in terms of the broader broader um, colleagues we were trying to go out to, we really only had um, carrots incentives. So we had to demonstrate the value by showing um, what we'd done and showing the work that people were doing. And one example was demonstrating that a, um, a report on the strategic intent for applications um, would previously take several weeks to uh, go around different um, subject matter experts and uh, get their input into it. And instead, uh, our community would just just keep the model updated um, because it was far easier to, to update, click on an application and, and, and update its status rather than having to go into a spreadsheet and, main, and, and do it that way. So that moved something that took weeks down to literally minutes of running a report. So that was that was an example of where this, this helped. And also we had um, colleagues in some, um, do, doing some segments of the architecture who could literally create um, architecture views or diagrams in the space of minutes rather than taking weeks, which would clearly help them with the design time because it was it wasn't um, it wasn't long before we realised that we needed to acquire data from source systems, and that was a key uh, part of the value to our um, to our, to our community, which was, um, you know, for example, going into our configuration management database. And um, in the early days, it was a it was a fairly manual process on on our part in terms of the um, the, the knowledge base team, but we would acquire that data and load it into the model so that there was clearly uh, value in just going to this shared um, repository to, to develop your diagrams from. Yeah, I think it's, and it's a, maybe a subject for another podcast. Implementing change is such a huge challenge, particularly when it comes to convincing end users to use different software. I mean, I've seen it myself, you know, over the years in different organizations where, you know, we say in, we say in business design, our biggest competition is Excel Visio PowerPoint. The DIY approach is absolutely 100% our biggest quote unquote competition because people have been using this for years. They're familiar with these tools. It does offer a very, very broad palette. But there's another strange thing that goes on. I've observed a couple of times, which is sometimes the people who know how to jockey those Excel files and those PowerPoint files and those video PowerPoints, they see their value in the fact that they're the only ones who know how this whole thing is strung together. And if you're sort of implementing a tool which provides a common framework and a common language and all of a sudden demystifies some kind of Byzantine set of files, yeah, that can be that can be a, a barrier as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was going to say that... Um one of the ways that we were pitching this was it's not just a new way of doing work, but it's a, it's a new way of thinking. So it's a common language. You know, we, 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 know, we hear about you know, people you know, thinking in, in, in the language that they speak or you know, the primary language that they speak. And in this case, I think it is. I think that applies because now when people look at a, a scope of a, 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 for a project, say, then they start to break it down using the, the concepts defined in Archimate. And again, probably a topic for another time, but um, we would define, we defined our own uh, meta model, which, we, um, which is effectively taking the concepts used in common parlance to, to describe the, the structure of the bank and how we change it, and, and representing those using Archimate concepts 
and selecting the appropriate relationships for us. Good. Well, well let's continue down the journey. Um, so let's talk about, I know, what are the areas that you're particularly uh, uh, stress um, is this, uh, this area of, of celebrating quick wins and demonstrating progress, you know, win often, win early, um, even though they may be smaller, showing that to the stakeholders and the progress is important. So can you tell us a little bit more about that part of the journey? Um, uh, so in terms of the celebrating um, wins, um, when we first got the, the tool in uh, to the bank, the new tool, uh, that was clearly a, a milestone for celebrating. So um, we, I mean, in our case, we, we, we used cake across multiple sites <laughs> to, um, and, uh, you know, that generates, stimulates conversation. And, um, you know, it's a very physical uh, symbol of, of a milestone. Um, but um, other things that I, I found that are worth doing is, um, is actually had to do with metrics, actually, and how we measure our progress. Because um, when in the early days, we were trying to measure the maturity um, of our, our architecture model. Um, and progress, and I think that is still worth doing. And then um, we'll, we'll continue to do, you know, to, to measure um, in our, using our own um, method the, the maturity of a, an architect's um, modelling. But um, what I f- what we found was a very simple metric was simply the number of users. So we just just literally report on how many people are using BizDesign tooling, and that actually we found is a proxy for um, for, for for success, and um, you know these people don't have to do it. They don't. They're not all necessarily forced to do it, but they do. They want to do it because they they, they see the benefits. And um, and you know, we follow up with surveys as well around um, you know uh, how how um, how useful it is and, and how much value it's bringing. And we we get various other insights on that, and it, we use those to um, prioritize our um, our backlog. Um, so yeah, so celebrating wins. Um, I, th- I think that's a, I mean, you and I talked before. I think that's just a, it's just a fantastic metric. It's so simple. It's so clear. I mean, I've seen other enterprise architecture groups create these very complex metrics that take at least you know five minutes to explain what the metric is before you reveal the number on the metric. And for those people who are not deep into enterprise architecture, like time it takes to develop you know rev one of a solution architecture, you know went down thirty seven percent. It, 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 once you have to ex- take five minutes explaining, you've almost lost lost the lost the mind share. So that that's just a, such a simple, pure metric. And, as, and and again, I'm sure if you say, look, it's not it's not a perfect metric, but directionally, lots of pe- more people are using is this month than they used last month, and they're spending more time on it this month than they are last month. Therefore, we can conclude, presumably, they're getting more more not less value out of it, and it's that simple. And so I think that, that's that's great. So, Jeremy, let's let's talk about the future. Perhaps we just wrap up this and talk about what's what's the future hold for you? Are the other in, ex, interesting, exciting change initiatives now that you've replaced this legacy tool? We've got a new tool in place. You've got, you know, the organisation humming somewhat. What what is the what's the future hold for the bank and 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 uh, your team's um, role in the bank? So originally, it's really interesting when we first set this up because um, I thought that success would look like. Um, us doing ourselves out of a job. I was, you know, I I, I came in. I thought, oh, I mean, this is a, this is something I can t- get my teeth into for for a short while. But I soon realised that this is an ongoing service. You know, what came, what was, what is a um, what I thought was going to be a, a change project with a clear deadline w- was not the case. And we need we've got an ongoing service, and we provide many services out of this knowledge base team. 
And, you know, it's some of it is around coaching uh, our staff, um, you know, continually improving the, um, the quality of the, 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 the model um, and how they use that to communicate with their stakeholders. Um, so we're, we're we're sort of going into the the technology community, and and you know it's been um it's been a, a quite a straightforward um, entry point because of the, the the historical context I mentioned earlier around the application architecture and infrastructure architecture. But um, more recently, we've been um, working in the business architecture space and um, getting on board the business architecture community. And um, but but yet that's still really nested under in our organisation, really under technology. And now we're starting to move out beyond that into the rest of the organization. And I think that's where some really exciting um, value and, and activities can happen. So that's great. So you're connecting with organizations outside of IT, but you'll still remain in IT. Do you think that's, that's a good and healthy place for enterprise architecture to sit in terms of organizationally? As long as you're effective, it doesn't matter who you report to. <laughs> wow. Um that's a, a great question, Will, and it seems to me a bit of a classic one because the answer, I think, is more complicated than a, a sort of a simple yes or no type answer. And I think that's because it really depends on the culture of your organisation, in particular, how collaborative it is. I, I suppose if you're getting all your desired outcomes, that's fine, right? But I'd ask are you really getting all your desired outcomes or how long is it taking you to, to get them? Um, are you getting there as quickly as you want? If you're in a super collaborative organization, I guess it doesn't really matter where people sit because you'll be benefiting from the skills uh, across the, the organization anyway. If you're getting, say, um, for example, a skilled business architect um, to work closely with product or service specialists uh, and those groups of people work closely in, say, business planning and decision making, then that's great. But are you linking up strategic thinking with a deep representation of how the business is structured and works? Um, are you able to inform any conversation with that sort of understanding. So if your answer to all those questions is yes, then that truly is a, a great. And I think you're probably working in a, a relatively digitally mature organization. If your answer to any of those is no, then I'd ask whether there are ways you might be able to optimize your organization, your organization's ability to plan, um, make decisions and implement any change at pace and you know, with, with the optimum resources. And I suppose to do that, I believe both the organization's leaders and their enterprise architecture function need a shared vocabulary to have, a, have meaningful conversations to directly inform strategy and change thinking. And to, to achieve this, both those groups of people must have good knowledge and skills in both business and technology disciplines. So I think that's, you know, that's quite rare these days. And to establish that common vocabulary, really, so to, you know, because it's a specific, um, you know, combination of skills and, you know, that, of course, that, that combination of business and technology disciplines in the specific context of, of the nature of that organization. Um, 
so this, of course, um, not to mention a common language across the whole organization for all disciplines involved with change. And uh, so, so basically, I suppose to sum up the important interactions, if the, if the important interactions are taking place, the organizational structure, uh, it doesn't really matter when it comes to the performance of the organization as a whole. So I don't think it matters if you're not there yet. And depending on the current culture uh, to achieve this, uh, it may take certain changes as part of the mix of your cultural change, which may in some cases um, necessitate putting enterprise architecture into the business and to the senior level to accelerate digital maturity. But I think um, it's a fascinating topic and I could talk for ages about it. There's many variables and I'm more than happy to chat about specific examples, which of course take longer than a, a podcast. Um, and there are naturally many other tools from noteworthy authors beyond Cotter, which, which are useful. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. What I enjoy most about these podcasts is when, when we, have a, we have a conversation and we don't talk about APIs and integrating with CMDBs and features and functions and buttons. Again, all very, very important stuff. And we're thrilled that we have great software that does that. But what's much, much more interesting, I think much more beneficial to listening is our listeners is you talking about your story of change and how you, you talked about the complexity of change, but actually broke it down into that quite simple model and how you implement it. So, Jeremy, thanks so much for your time today. I wish you the very best and, um, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Will. Good to chat. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeremy and in particular his views on the key steps to ensure successful change. And if you're interested, there's a more in-depth recorded webinar available on our website where you can learn more about the process he went through. For more podcasts, blogs and recorded webinars, please visit us at www.bizdesign.com where there is a wealth of information available. If you'd like to tell your EA story and feature on this podcast, then please email me, Will Scott, at podcast at bizdesign.com. Bizdesign is a leader in the area of enterprise architecture software and supports enterprise architecture teams in delivering value to their organizations with a key focus on the value outcomes of accelerating strategy, optimizing operations, and reducing risk. Thanks for your time.